Binging on movies. Binging with Jason. You're binging on movies with Jason. Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the second episode of the Binge Movie Podcast. My name is Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte. And this week, we are going to talk about Gem and the Holograms, Room, Our Brand is Crisis, and Suffragette. So let's start off with Gem and the Holograms. A small town girl catapults from underground video sensation to global superstar. And she and her three sisters begin a journey of discovering that some talents are too special to keep hidden. Jen, this is exactly the artist that Starlight has been looking for. With a little help, of course. Clean back, smile, and most important, look like you're having fun but don't really have fun. Got it? So, first question I think everybody wants to know, is it true to the TV show? Well, so here's the thing. When I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking to myself, this has absolutely nothing to do with the TV show. Absolutely nothing. And then after it ended, I walked outside with Scott, who I watched it with, and I was like, so what did it have in common with the TV show? I feel like that's going to be like a shorter list than what it didn't have in common, right? And so he started, he's like, well, let's see the names and this and that. And then he like, of course, you know, Wikipedia is summoned. And mm-hmm. we start mm-hmm. reading through the description, and we gradually realize the movie actually is like overwhelmingly faithful <laughs> to the TV really? show. It's just that tonally, it is so completely different and such a betrayal of everything that our generation at least loved about the TV show or have grown to love about it in terms of being so over the top and so campy and mm-hmm. so brightly colored. Right, or even the thing, the only things you remember about it, if you weren't like the most dedicated Gem fan, I think all you have is just this mental explosion of colors. Right, right, exactly. You just picture a bunch of like ridiculous anime ladies with crazy 80s fashion and outrageous colors. And, you know, this kind of weirdly sci-fi tinged story about a computer Mm -hmm. that projects an identity. Uh, And then also just every genre under the sun from episode to episode. You know, they're solving crimes. They're raising orphans. There's, yeah, (laughs) there's a lot that goes on on that show. And so in this movie is, the thing to know about this movie is actually sort of a prequel to the show. Oh, because okay. as the show begins, and <laughs> let me assure you, listeners, this is these are things I did not just know at the top of my head. There was research done on this. <laughs> as the show begins, Jem is already like running um, the entertainment company. Uh, oh, okay, she's already she's already you know head bitch in charge, um, or at least you know Jerrica, Jem, the whole weird duality of wait, they're the same. They're the same. They're the but, same person. But, but Jared, but, oh no! Oh my Sorry. god! I ruined it. I oh ruined my god! It. Sorry to drop that bomb on childhood, Rebecca. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. Spoiler but, alert! Yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, so in this, it's sort of like the origin story of Jem and the holograms, and you know, so it starts off with Jem and her sister Kimber, and then you know the other two, uh, <laughs> and they're living in Molly Ringwald's house. She plays uh, Jerrica's aunt. And they're just these like four scrappy girls of an indeterminate young age who have been taught to sing. And then, but Jerrica's the shy one. Sure. And, um, and she doesn't want anyone to look at her. She doesn't want to be filmed. Um, but then she films herself singing this like dopey song. And then Kimber, that bitch, steals it and puts it on YouTube. And then it like goes hugely viral overnight. And before you know it, uh, you know, corporate America comes calling and wants to make them into stars. That never happens in real life. No. Uh, and well, and the funny thing is, the person that did happen to in that way is all over this movie in terms of his representation in Past Associates. It's directed by John M. Chu, who directed Never Say Never, the Justin Bieber concert film. Oh, really? And it's produced by Scooter Braun, Justin Bieber's manager. Oh, so this movie is basically 
just like a it's, YouTube giant YouTube commercial. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like Girl Bieber, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, I guess like post Wang pics, I guess we can't make those girl jokes anymore. No, definitely cannot. Um, but I mean, they were blurry enough that it could have just been like a really good kind of hold it in. What's it called? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure, sure thing. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's just it's it's Bieber stank is all over this. Oh one. God. Uh, it's very much Dirty. about. It's sort of like an homage to this generation of dopey young kids uh, who need validation and affirmation that there's anything remarkable about their experiences, which there is not. And so they put music videos of themselves up on YouTube, hoping that people will see it and be like, yes, like I, that's my experience too. Speaking of which, thank you for listening to this podcast. Yeah, thanks guys. Please subscribe. Yes. I'm like, this is not me singing a dopey song about myself. This is me talking dopely about movies. Not yet. I'm not Next one we're doing myself. it. We're doing it all in song. And I guess we, <laughs> we also did sing the jingle, but moving on. <laughs> Love us. Moving on. Um, but that's kind of it seems like a lot of the reboots they go one of two ways and probably more often than not the latter it's either appeal to the original audience or it's like revamp it for the new audience and the new Mm -hmm. audience loves YouTube stars right there was like a variety report a year ago that like out of the top 20 uh, most recognizable stars um, by teens and youth I think the top five were YouTube stars and then it was like Paul Walker and um, that Hunger Games woman (laughs) I'm Elizabeth on a movie Banks. podcast. Elizabeth Banks, I think, is who you mean. Right. Yeah, this is unquestionably uh, for a new audience. It has no fucks to give about what the original <laughs> viewers of the show uh, think. Uh, because for those of us who have, for whom, you know, Jim has been fetishized in our minds and our in our cultural recollections as either a, a great piece of 80s nostalgia or as just this great campy gay thing, uh, the movie is not interested in what we have to think, despite the fact that it does go so far out of its way to incorporate so much from the original and kind of a, a clever, well, I don't want to call it clever, but <laughs> it, you know, it reappropriates a lot of the original names and plot developments uh, in a semi-clever way, just manages to like wring every ounce of joy and fun oh, out of them in the process. Oh. Uh, but so yeah, it has it has no interest in that. Oh, it also has cameos from both the speaking and singing voices of Jem. Oh, really? Yeah, and of course, as we know, the singing voice is Britta Phillips from Luna. Did not know that. Well, Wait, like Galaxy? Yeah, Cliff? Britta Phillips. Really? Is, yeah, it was the singing voice of Jem. I had and, no idea. Uh, so yeah, she is in the movie. Is Dean Wareham in the movie? Um, he, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he may like she may have been singing on his shoulders. There may have been a trench coat involved. <laughs> I'm like not a Muppet sure. Man? Yeah, he was like, I will be in this movie with you. <laughs> uh, what a leech! Yeah, total, total leech. Dean Wareham is. You heard it here first. <laughs> and uh, Juliet Lewis, she's in this movie. Juliet Lewis, my queen of queens, is indeed in this movie. She plays the role of Erica Raymond. Uh, which is a character that was a dude on the cartoon show named Eric Raymond. And uh, is sort of, in the cartoon show, is this former label head who Jem had vanquished um, on her rise to the top. And then he was sort of like a nemesis who was working, he was the manager of the Misfits, which was like the rival group to Jem and the Holograms. Uh Um, But since this is a prequel, uh, Erica Raymond is the head of Starlight Enterprises, uh, and she's the one who plucks Jem from obscurity and starts trying to fashion her into a superstar. But then it's all very Josie and the Pussycats, and you know she's mm. trying to separate her from the band, and and you know just is all about the bottom line and not about the art, yada yada yada. Isn't uh, that always the way? But Juliet is the only actor in the movie who has any clue that maybe it should be campy. 
Oh, like, okay. She sort of is this movie with Gina Gershon as the showgirls. Mm-hmm. Like, she's the mm-hmm. one who's having fun. She's the one who's... Not taking it seriously. Yeah. I mean, you know, she, she has... I don't want to say she's not taking it seriously, but I mean, she is being campy. She's being over the top. She's being fun with her line readings. Uh, and this, the craziest thing about her character in this movie is that, okay, so Juliette Lewis, despite being, I'm going to say, like, 41, 42, has never really been cast as a mother. No. Uh, like, ever. There's, she's she's more wanna, likely to be, like, the alcoholic aunt she, <laughs> of a mother's age, but not really actually a mother. Yeah, because you look at you, know, you look at her, like, life body, and you don't picture her life springing from it. Mm-mm, no. Um, and she just has an eternally youthful kind of vibe about her. Um, you're like, sure. Yeah, I'll buy that. <laughs> Let's go with that. I'm in it. Uh, and just two years ago, she played a mother for, like, the first time in this movie called Kelly and Cal. She played, like, the mother of a, of a, of a newborn. Okay. And now, just two years later... The actor who plays her son in this movie is 28 years old. So Cruel. I don't want to say that her like last of fuck, you know last fuckable day that Amy Schumer <laughs> forewarns of has come because she's still gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But I feel like since the last fuckable day is set by Hollywood, that this might be Still Hollywood's message to her that it came. <laughs> wow. Well, there's some relaxing times ahead. There are. There are. Things get easier now. And uh, it should be noted also that her son in the movie is played by Ryan Guzman, who earlier this year was the romantic who gave Jennifer Lopez a first edition of the Iliad in The Boy Next Door. Uh, that holiday classic. Wow. Winter classic, I should say. Uh, and he is he's a good looking man. And he has like a shirtless scene in this movie that is 100% gratuitous and that did indeed elicit gasps and shocks oh, from, wow. from my audience. Like a Carly Rae Jepsen and, music yeah. video. But then I got shushed. So <laughs> so I had to Very nice. put it back in. So in the, so in the, from there, what's your rating of this movie? You know, I feel like this is a send it back. Send it back. You know, it, it it's it's it, it has really the the message of Mm, it's some of the message of the original show because it's about empowering young women and uh, you know encouraging them to use their voices and speak up and make music but there's just so little fun or joy in any of it um, the actress who plays Gem is named Aubrey Peoples she plays uh, a hapless character named Layla Grant on Nashville mm-hmm. uh, and she's a talented enough singer but she does not sort of She's she's not fun as a lead, and you and this is supposed to be fun. You hear Gem in the Holograms. Probably the one adjective that almost anyone who watched the show growing up would use to describe it as fun. Yeah, and this movie is just anything but fun. So I'm going to say send it back. Send it back for Gem in the Holograms. But if you do happen to uh, be a glutton for punishment, Gem in the Holograms is out now, and is rated PG for thematic material including reckless behavior, brief suggestive content and some language oh and one thing I'll say also is that I found out after watching it that midway through the credits there is um, like an easter egg scene that you will want to stick around for so if you do see it don't leave when the credits start you will be sorry if you do that like I am right now you've been warned and now it's time for a pick of the week pick of the week pick of the week pick 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 it's a pick pick of of the the week. week This week's pick is Room. After five-year-old Jack and Ma escape from the enclosed surroundings that Jack has known his entire life, the boy makes a thrilling discovery. The outside world. I guess they still can't hear us. Do you remember how Alice wasn't always in Wonderland? She fell down, 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 deep in a hole. Right, well, I wasn't always in Room. I'm like Alice. Now we've got a chance. I'm scared. I know. 
so many feels just from the trailer. Yes. Yes. This is this is this is a feels one for sure. Much like Jim. Um, <laughs> Different feels. So have you read the book? I have read the book. Uh, I read maybe like three books a year. Okay. Uh, All movie books. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, one way or another, probably. Uh, but I just, I yeah, I'm I'm bad at buying time to read, so I end up reading like three books a year, and most of them are like memoirs written by Real Housewives. But I did <laughs> get Room by Emma Donahue uh, into my head, and uh, and it's it's an incredible book. It's an incredible book for sure, and the movie is, it does justice to it wonderfully that's that's so good to hear it's so refreshing. yeah it's yeah it's very rare you know like going into and we'll be talking about this in a later episode when we get to talking about carol but mm-hmm. i read the book that carol was based on as well and that is why i actually wasn't as crazy about carol but room does total justice to emma donahue's book uh very very smart adaptation captures all the heart and the soul and the emotional arc of of the book for sure it would have been a very easy story to to exploit much mm-hmm. like the sort of these situations that this movie is about, um, you know, the first thing you think is it's going to be, you know, a uh, Hallmark movie style. Um, yeah, like a exploitative. Lifetime movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lifetime movie. Yeah. Like, Hallmark is too classy. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This isn't a Christmas tale. No, no. This is a trapped in the basement the, tale. Yeah, exactly. This is not about like pioneer women. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a rip from the headlines kind of story. Uh, or at least it could have been. Uh, yeah, that would definitely was the potential when you have a story like this that, you know, there are sort of tabloidy stories about in real life, then you would think like, oh, well, what, you know, how is this going to be better than a Lifetime movie? And uh, and really, it's just through the strength and power of the filmmaking and these two absolutely incredible uh, lead performances by Brie Larson as, uh, as Ma and then uh, young little baby Jacob Tremblay uh, as Jack. Brie Larson. Did you say Brie Larson? I know I said I'd never say her name on her show, but... Damn it, Jason. We've gotten to a point where it feels necessary. Um, <laughs> is it is it Oscar material? I think it is. I think it is. And even though Brie Larson, so viewers who invite you in on that joke... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just let it go. We'll just, we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll just like, yeah, there should be like a, a whole, you know, subtext. Maybe when we get like a mythology going in the show, then there'll be like whole threads about like, what do you think she did? <laughs> As uh, we sub-podcast Brie so, Larson. Yes. Yeah, so this this episode was originally supposed to include an interview with Brie Larson, uh, but her, uh, her interview time was allegedly cut short and we were removed from her schedule. Uh, so Brie Larson is not on this episode, but I will not hold against her. Well, I will, I but will. I will not hold against her talent because she has been one of my favorite actresses for a while. I loved her on United States of Terra. I thought she had really standout moments in comedies like 21 Jump Street and then Trainwreck. Short Term 12 is a masterpiece. And now in this film, I think she is in a really good position to quite possibly win an Oscar. At the very least, will be nominated for her first Oscar. Do you think um, the boy will be nominated? Yeah, you know, it's such a tricky thing because then that brings up the conversation of like, do we really want to go down the rabbit hole of like nominating children for Oscars again? Because Quivin Janae Wallace was such a disappointment. Beast of the Southern Wild. Uh, give me a break. <laughs> what is it because of Annie? 
There was a disappointment. Yes, What's yes. What's disappointment? Well, I, I look at, you know, you look back at uh, you know, child actors who are nominated for or won Oscars, and it just seems to inevitably lead to a downfall of some sort. Although, oh. you know, Kavenjane, she did, I guess, just ink like a four-book deal. Did you hear about really? this? Really? No, I didn't. I don't know what she is going to write about, but yeah, she got like a hmm. four-book deal. So I think I'm just trying to, since the acting thing for her hasn't really taken off quite so much as it seemed like it might, they're just going to turn her into like a overall child's lifestyle guru. <laughs> uh, she can take over goop yes yeah it's about time there's some fresh blood and goop uh, but i mean look at poor Haley joel osmond he was nominated for the sixth sense and girl that's true he is not looking good things have not panned out in his favor anna paquin won the oscar and then had to resort to true blood true Bl- had to resort oh, to you know banging vampires for six years on hbo uh and you know i think before that tatum o'neill won oh, the yeah, oscar that, for nope. paper moon and nope that's not good nope, either nope 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 so, but I mean, Jacob Tremblay, performance-wise, is absolutely deserving of recognition uh, in this movie. He really holds his own. It, it's so much of it is a two-hander between he and Brie Larson, and he suggests the inner life that you would need for this character to work. Uh, they always say never to work with children or animals, and <laughs> no, do they say that? They do say that. Let's yeah. never hold children or animals. You think it's never have sex with? I uh, don't know. No, definitely not no, that one. No, I don't know. Well, point being, it, you know, Brie Larson is able to do what's necessary from this character while working with a child and the child more than holds his own and the two of them are incredible in the movie there was such a i was thinking back to the book um emma donahue has a a couple of books that are phenomenal um i think she was shortlisted Mm -hmm. for the man booker prize and Mm. um for frog music uh, no, I think it was actually for Room. Oh, for Room. Um, or there's another one. Pen uh, Faulkner, is that a thing? That's an that's the main character in the other book. I can't think of the name of but it's another completely tragic story Golden about Globes. this lesbian. <laughs> nope. No. Nope. On Golden Globes? <laughs> no, that's Golden the wrong. Globe books. Um, she just kind of carries this like incredibly tragic experience with a, a such a uh, subtlety, mm. um, which I think... I hope uh, carries into the, into the movie version mm-hmm. is that you can you take this like really uh, a situation that has a lot of uh, you know aggression and energy and you just it, you just pull out the most subtle movements mm-hmm. and uh, and dialogue right. from it and really make it all feel feels yeah right well and in one issue one criticism this movie has gotten a lot is that it actually does not go dark enough and that it should oh. be more disturbing and more upsetting than it is. Uh, but I think that it is actually true to the book because the book is told from Jack's perspective. It's told right. from the little boy's point of view, and he is not aware of the more upsetting parts of the story. Mm-hmm. It is left for you as the reader to ascertain, like, oh, like sh- she's being raped repeatedly, uh, or like this is why she has these bruises. This is why she looks the way she does. Uh, this means he's been there all this time for all the like. It right. leaves it you to figure that out yourself. It doesn't feel a need to spell that out. And I think that it's being faithful to the book by not overdoing it with that stuff and letting it remain something that you're just aware of through Jack's eyes. Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. I think the worst case scenario here, in addition to the Lifetime thing, is that it could have turned out like the Lovely Bones movie. Oh, right. Okay. Because that was another literary sensation that was sort of about mm-hmm. a, a child in danger, uh, even though it obviously had much more, you know, since that that child was murdered and then right. you know so there's this whole you know phantasmagorical thing of going to heaven and looking down and well not to heaven but to whatever the fuck they called it I don't um the beyond the after the after and then watching you know her family and friends uh, try to pick up the pieces afterward 
and which was a literary sensation. I enjoyed it. I admit I enjoyed that book. Uh, and then Peter oh, G- so you did read that one. I also read that one. You only do read books about movies <laughs> or adapted. Well, I read them both movies. before movie. The movies came out though, so I. But after I, you knew they were going to be movies. I'm a tastemaker. Let's say that. <laughs> I, I, this is bar for you and Goop. I see it coming and I read it. And then it comes out as a movie, and then I'm like, mm, well, you know, when I read the book, <laughs> you do just, do that. It's just setting myself up for that bragging right. So, uh, point being, this is a much better literary adaptation than The Lovely Bones. It's one of the best movies of the year with some of the best performances you'll see this year. And uh, it is your un- rating. My, it is unquestionably a binge. Binge it. Binge the room. Well, not well. You could also binge the room, uh, which is the, <laughs> the thing that's tricky. Because there's also the Tommy Wiseau classic that shares very much, very basically the same title. Uh, so binge the room and room. Do them both back to back. You'll be delighted. Yeah. Do room first, then follow up with the room. Yeah. I you, think. Yeah. You'll need you'll need something light. Otherwise, I think that it will be very jarring. Room is out now and is rated R for language. Next up, we have our brand is crisis. An American woman, well versed in political campaigns, is sent to the war torn lands of South America to help install a new leader, but is threatened to be thwarted by a long-term rival. It's a presidential campaign in South America. Fragile democracy, economy in real trouble. Our candidate is considered arrogant and out of touch with people's lives. How far are you behind? 28 points. (laughs) If you want to win, we're going to have to take risks. You're my tracker. Every event that Rivera attends, every speech, you tape it. If security beats you up, you are doing your job right. Get that beating on tape. Was that Sandra Bullock I heard? That was Sandra Bullock you heard. Well done, you. Thanks. Way to recognize the voice of one of our greatest leading ladies. And that and mild research. <laughs> yeah, like I also am just looking at the description of the movie right now. Since <laughs> I did just read it before. Just IMDB. Yeah, yeah. So is this Miss Congeniality 3? <laughs> or Senora Senora Congeniality. All right, uh, tell us. What is this man for congeniality? Come on. I don't Come know. on, cough it up. First, you don't know the dildo thing. Now you don't know this. <laughs> what, what, what are your brands? <laughs> Full of secrets. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is definitely Sandra Bullock in sort of a mildly edgy variation on her trademark frazzled career gal type character that she has played in one form or another since time and time since time untold again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's 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 a variation on that, uh, but at the same time, it is this is post Oscar Sandy B that we're talking about. Different woman. Yeah. What was she winning Oscar for the? White women save the world, or that Black familiar. Lives Matter. Just ask a white woman. Just ask a white woman. Yeah, Goop. I th- yeah. <laughs> what was the name of that movie? Goop taking a taking battery this this episode. Uh, yeah, she won the Oscar for The Blind Side, which is a thing that we will all just like when Crash won Best Picture, we all just have to go to our graves knowing that happened on our watch. <laughs> uh, but you know, not that she was bad in The Blind Side, of course. But I mean, really, that's the best we could do that year. It was a transition uh, year. It was. It was. It was a rough time for all of us. But the long national nightmare is over, and uh, now Sandy B is doing movies like. Since then, she's done, you know, Gravity, for which that's a movie that she maybe should have won an Oscar yeah. for, really, uh, because people rarely win for the movie they should. They always win for the one either right before or right after it. Looking at you, Sophie's Choice. Oh, don't get me started. Uh, so, and after Gravity, she also did The Heat, which was, you know, kind of a throwback to goofy, miscongeniality Sandy B, mm-hmm. but also was just a really excellent, fantastic female-driven action comedy from Paul Fig, who, of course, did Bridesmaids and, more recently, uh, Spy. Is That's one with Melissa McCarthy? Mm-hmm. It's good? Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. 
Uh, and so now she's doing Our Brand is Crisis, which is by sort of the auteur director David Gordon Green. Where, how do we know that name sounds familiar? So he started off, he was the kind of guy that like when we were in college, we were like, oh, you got to watch his movies. Because, oh, that's David Austin Green. Oh, <laughs> Brian Austin Brian Green. Brian Austin yeah, Green. That's, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, sorry. I got the name wrong. It's B. It's 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 B A G up in here directing Sandy B. No, David Gordon Green, who directed uh, a movie called George Washington, and then followed it with a movie that we probably all watched in college called All the Pretty Girls. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow, that was, was a while ago. Yeah, it was Zoe De Chanel before she was adorable. <laughs> pre otter. Uh, pre pre. Oh God. Yeah, pre otter. <laughs> Long pre otter. And uh, so, and he kind of did a lot more of you know indie leaning movies, and then he did Pineapple Express. Really? Yeah. And then he did that movie, The Sitter, with Jonah Hill. Uh, but at the same time, he will then go into a movie like Prince Avalanche, which is like this weird existential experiment movie with Paul Rudd and Emil Hirsch. So he's always been all over the place in terms of doing big studio movies and then doing little indie movies. This one is kind of in the middle uh, because it's it's produced by George Clooney and Grant Heslov. And in keeping with most of the movies those guys produce, it kind of has, you know, it's very just politically minded mm-hmm. kind of dramedy. Uh, that is about big, you know, big issues, big questions, uh, but has a very kind of sly, playful tone to it. So it's definitely kind of in their wheelhouse, and it's just a kind of very middle of the road movie in general. It's based on a documentary, right? It is, yeah. So that's again. Last week we talked about Free Hell, which is also based on a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, is that? Do you think that works? Is that a thing? Is that working? Yeah, re- yeah, remaking making documentaries into into scripted acted films. It's something where it's such a weird kind of exchange because on the one hand, it will never ever be as powerful right. as the documentary is or as captivating. And if you've seen the documentary, you're going to watch the narrative version and be like, "What the hell is this shit?" Yeah. Uh this is, you know, why why would anyone choose this over the documentary? But just in terms of reaching more audiences, I think that's the main reason this happens. Uh, so that, well, I mean, okay, not that studios are being altruistic about it. They're like, oh, well, there's a story that we can turn into a movie and make more money off of. Because, right. you know, the, the box office for documentaries is extremely, extremely, extremely low. Because a very small subset of viewers are really actively watching documentaries. They're like, oh, I'll just wait for, like, you know, Sandra Bullock to play that woman. And then I'll watch it. <laughs> so, you know, the story and the stories of these people's lives reach a lot more people through these kinds of scripted big screen adaptations of documentaries, but that doesn't make the movies any less inferior to the documentaries they're based on. Right. So I feel with Freeheld, someone who would see it might be the same person who would see the documentary, where this one with, as you call her, Sandy B and Billy B.B. Thornton, we're all just doing the B game. (laughs) B.B.T. Would reach an audience that the documentary wouldn't reach. Someone would be more likely to go see a Sandra Bullock movie, mm-hmm. um, expecting maybe Miss Congeniality three. Right. Um, where in Free Hell, I feel like if you're kind of, you know, into that movie, and and even the adaptation was like kind of a passion project. Mm-hmm. Where here it might be more of a um, m- money project. <laughs> right. A labor, a labor of moolah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Freeheld uh, had kind of a, a narrative, uh, limited reach mm-hmm. for its audience, whereas our brand is Crisis, just by virtue of having Sandra Bullock and having a kind of rollicking trailer where it looks like a kind of a anything goes, you know, madcap Latin American adventure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, it has more crossover potential, I would say, than Freeheld did because you watch that and you're like, oh, I'm just going to watch this, like this lesbian die. Right. Uh, so, God. and other than me, who's like, <laughs> yes, you know, sign me up. Up. 
Uh, so yeah, our brand's crisis, I think has a little bit more crossover potential. Uh, and, uh, most people who watch it will have no idea it was ever a documentary and they'll just watch this movie and be like, Hey, Sandy B, look at her go. Look at her. Look at her go. Still doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, from the trailer, it sounds like this movie would be called Sandra Bullock yells at people. Yeah. Is, is there a lot of yelling or is that just, you know, she, she, she does a lot of, you know, she almost mansplains. I'm going to say there's, there's, really? yeah, there's, there's, there's a, there's a masculinity to her, to her fiery assertions and, uh, to her advice that she gives. But yeah, I mean, she's playing, you know, that's the character. The character is that kind of, uh, you know, walks into the room and, and it's like, Oh, all you dummies don't know what you're doing. Let me tell you what I'm going to tell you to do. <laughs> I so, don't know anybody like that. No. <laughs> Rebecca, I already told you how to do this. <laughs> I'm typing as fast as I can. Uh, do we see her butt? You know, there is a butt, and it's supposed to be hers, but I'm told it's a double. A butt double? There's a butt double. There's a scene where Sandy B uh, moons someone from a... She's in a bus. Again, Sandra Bullock back in a bus. <laughs> so she's back to where she started. Mm-hmm. Um Full circle. It, yeah, yeah. It's a totally a full circle moment. She's on a bus that is going way too fast. What? <laughs> yes, literally. Yeah, she's on a bus that's going way too fast, but it's just because they're like, oh, these crazy Latin American bus drivers, uh, <laughs> they drive like crazy people. And uh, so, and then there's like the rival campaign is in the bus next to them, and so she moons them. Oh. Uh, and, and Sandy B, I think, has kept all her business locked away uh, for most of her career, and she yeah. continues to now because it was indeed a Sandy, a Sandy B butt double. Since- and, NSBBD. If you will. I will. Thanks. Um, so in spite of that disappointment. Yeah. Uh, how, what's the what's the review? What's the uh, rating? Uh, you know, I'm going to say consumption, uh, consume moderation on this one. Consume in moderation. Yeah. It's it's, it's kind of a meh. I was, it's, it's meh. It's, it's like the definition of a meh movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think it's going to get any kind of uh, real, there's no awards traction for this one. It's not going to be Sandy B's second time to the podium. All right. Our brand is Crisis is out October 30th and is rated R for language, including some sexual references. And that brings us to the last movie of the podcast, Suffragette, a British historical drama about the foot soldiers of the early feminist movement, women who were forced underground to pursue a dangerous game of cat and mouse with an increasingly brutal state. All my life, I've done what men told me. Well, I can't have that anymore. Took my love, took it down. So this is that one with the t-shirts, huh? The t-shirts. This is, uh, we're referencing uh, a photo. uh, It was like a marketing campaign. Yeah, a series of photos, a marketing campaign with the stars of Suffragette wearing a t-shirt that says... I'd rather be a rebel than a slave. (sighs) All white actors. Meryl Streep, Carrie Mulligan, don't get whiter. Don't get any whiter than that. Um, Does it make, now that you've seen the movie, do the shirts make any more sense? They do, um, and I think it's worth noting that, you know, because I don't think that, I think this is one of those things where the internet was like, oh, this could be huge if we make it seem like it's really, really embarrassing. Sure. I think the average person looks at that and takes it in the kind of the context that it's intended in and does not suddenly become this, like, expert in Civil War, uh, you know, terminology and it's like oh well obviously rebel means a, a southern white person and a slave is any black person subjugated to them and they're saying they'd rather be the southern white people like i don't think that reasonable people would think that that's what they're saying mm-hmm. but I, I i i get why it was still unfortunate and that line is in the movie uh meryl right. streep says that line it is a quote it's a direct quote from this woman uh who who, who meryl streep plays uh who is named like 
Emmeline uh, Pinkhurst or something like that. Okay. Uh, who was and this it should be noted this this story is not about the American fight for suffrage. This is about the British fight for suffrage. This is a a British uh, a British produced British financed film, not an American film. Shouldn't be super concerned with American history. Uh, this is a British story. Uh, the story about the fight for uh, yeah women's right to vote in England. So, and the character Meryl Streep plays says has a big speech. <laughs> should be noted also. Meryl Streep has literally one scene. Really? Oh, okay. It's 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 essentially a glorified cameo, and it's very misleading that she's like in all of the artwork for the movie. Absolutely. Because one scene, one and done. That's Meryl's approach to suffragette. So is she going to get an Oscar for that scene? I don't think she will. I think this is going to be the year that Meryl does not have to worry about going to the awards because she's not going to get nominated for Ricky and the Flash. Not to dump on mm. Ricky and the Flash because I did like that movie. At best, she might get a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical because the Globes are just star fuckers and they will have, <laughs> and they're the people who nominate Angelina Jolie for The Tourist. So, you know, they just want to get stars and seats. But no, Meryl's not going to the Oscars this year. There's no way. It's in the one scene she has, it's not like Judy Dench and Shakespeare in Love where she had one scene, but it was she was so fucking amazing that everyone's right. like, Oscar, you get an Oscar for that scene. No. Meryl Streep has one scene where she gives a speech from a balcony like she's fucking Ava Perone. Um, <laughs> but she could have used a little bit of Ava's energy, let me tell you. Uh, because she just kind of does like this, Woo, and here we are, in like this kind of like strangled British accent, and delivers this speech that ends with this notorious, now notorious line about right. I'd rather be a rebel than a slave. And of course it makes sense in the context of the movie. Uh, it's when it's pulled out of context and put on a t-shirt and put on a white actress and spread around the internet then it definitely no longer makes sense and could be interpreted in an offensive manner. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's just a particularly bad time mm-hmm. um, where just kind of where we are as a country um, to think that's a good idea. I, I just where are we as a country, Rebecca? <laughs> divided. Divided. We are a house divided. That's also a quote, Jason. Put that <laughs> on a fucking t-shirt. Um, so more about white people, white feminism. Yeah. Uh, this is it's sort of gaining momentum as a as a pejorative. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, do you do? You really think we need a movie, you know, sort of like this? Yeah, you know, I'll say I've really been on a journey uh, about this whole white feminism thing because whenever Patricia Arquette, I feel like this all started uh, earlier this year when Patricia Arquette gave her uh, speech at the Oscars and called for equal pay for women. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. um, backstage, uh, she was asked a question by a member of the press, and she answered in such a way, I think they asked her, like, do you think the right for equal pay for women is more important than anything else? So she, the answer she gave made it sound like she was saying that what mattered more than anything was white women earning an equal pay. Although I don't even think she said that. But basically what she did was she failed to also say, you know, and also women of color, and also trans women, and also right. she just said women. She's like, yes, I, she's like, if, if all women are paid equal to what men earn, then the world would be a better place. And she got dinged for it so fucking hard right. by activists who were like, this is classic white feminism, this is white privileged feminism that doesn't even understand that mm-hmm. women of color and trans women are have it so much worse and are making even less, totally valid point. But it made it sound like she intentionally slighted them. It right. was just like, oh, no, I'm pretty sure it's just white women problems. And then suddenly, ever since then, the internet's been like, oh, all your white feminist faves, like Tina Fey and Lena Dunham. But then there's Taylor Swift. <laughs> I don't think she's a white feminist fave. Um, I mean, she's, and she's a white lady. She yeah, doesn't get much whiter. She's right there with Carrie Mulligan and Meryl Streep for, for, for whiteness. She's definitely 
made you know there was like the whole Taylor Swift Nicki Minaj kind of right blow up around yes. what it means to be inclusive and, sure. and what what how she's not mm-hmm. um, and as a woman with a, a lot of power uh, a lot of publicity and mm-hmm. a lot of money mm-hmm. um, I yeah. feel like that was a had a position her position was a little bit more you know it's like a Twitter position so it comes from like you know your couch. Yeah. Or whatever it is that Taylor Swift sits on a horse on top of another <laughs> horse. Um, not like Patricia Arquette's situation where you're kind of like, you know, ambushed with a question and you answer to the mm-hmm. best that you can without, of course, thinking of every situation. Right. Um, so so back to the question. Yes. Uh, do we need a movie like this? Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and I think, you know, with the Taylor thing, that was definitely her just being oblivious and her not even beginning to understand where Nikki could have been coming from in a place from other than ego, and I want to say on the record that I think Nikki is still made of a, motivated very largely by ego, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, Taylor didn't, yeah, would, didn't understand the larger point that, that Nikki was trying to make, and that's definitely oblivious white privilege that was coming through in that. And I think that the funny thing is, so I've been very defensive about this whole white feminism thing, because I feel like it, it's, it's invalidating uh, the struggles of you know, feminists who happen to be white women and saying like, well, that's, well, let's not focus on that. Mm-hmm. Even though that is still very much an issue, even though there still is this, this, this pay gap, even though the pay gap does continue, you know, to drop as you, you know, go into women of color. Uh, and, and so I've been really defensive about it, but it wasn't until watching this movie that I was like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> because watching <laughs> this movie, I'm like, oh, we don't need this movie right now. Like we really, really don't like this is, this is like, this is white feminism incarnate. Okay. Um, there's there's not a single person of color on screen for the entire movie. Uh, it is you know you don't get much whiter than like the English. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, you know it is and it's 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 a it's a valuable story because we haven't really had that major movie made about women's suffrage. Like think back, can you think of a movie that you saw that really was like the definitive? Oh yeah, sure. We all watched that movie that showed us the the, the women's right. Uh, women's battle to earn the right to vote. No. Like, that movie hasn't been made. It's not, it's and it still hasn't been made for the American version of that story. Right. Uh, so, like, I think it's still important to remember that this is still, it's still a victory, it's still a triumph to have now a major motion picture that tells one story about one country's uh, battle regarding women's suffrage. That's still a valuable thing, but no. Like, in, you know, in the, in the, in the times that we're living in right now, it seems very foolhardy to have made a movie that's entirely about white women uh, fighting for uh, for equality. And just to recap, this is a show with a, a white male and a woman of color yes. where the white male talks about being defensive about white feminism, yes. but then comes around. Yes. So see, this is a really yeah, see, I came around. story. I came around, and, uh, and I also may have done some light mansplaining there to you about the value <laughs> of a story about women's suffrage. But you know what? How else am I going to know? I know, I How know. How else am I going to know? And really, I'm really speaking more to the listeners than to Rebecca, because I know she knows. I'm saying it for all of you ladies out there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Uh, yeah, it's it's. There's a lot of hot button issues that come up around this movie, and uh, and I feel like when it's really fully released, that Twitter is going to be on it like crazy. I feel like it's going to be like feminist Stonewall. Uh, Luckily, she only had that one scene. Meryl Streep, one and done. <laughs> yes, yeah, she one and done Streep. They call her. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she's not going to get dinged by this too badly. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's just bad timing. And like I said, this is a British movie. This is not. Mm-hmm. This is a different climate. So this is not a, an American studio saying like, you know, what we need right now a movie about how hard it is for white ladies. Right. So let's redirect our anger, internet. 
Yes. At yes. the Brits. At the Brits. The Brits are the ones doing this to us. They're 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 a house divided, cannot stand. See that quote you did earlier? Bring it back to that. Um so this uh, again, a British movie. Um is this basically just like the kinky boots or full Monty, but with women uh dressed in too many clothes? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean like these kinds of British movies about working class people banging together for the greater good normally have a very playful kind of farcical vibe to them. Musical-esque. Yeah, musical elements inevitably get turned into a Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. This is not that. So this this is actually a really gritty, uh, kind of violent, disturbing movie. Uh, Yeah, what, what really surprised me about it is that a lot of the actions that are undertaken by the suffragettes in this movie would be described today as domestic terrorism. Oh. Uh, they are blowing up mailboxes. Uh, there's a scene where they actually detonate a bomb at a government, uh, a member of the government's home. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. There's, in the, there's a, in the climactic scene, uh, a woman um, uh, martyrs herself. Really? Oh. Uh, so mm. it's, it's in, in, a, in public. So it's dark. It's not. Yeah. It's, this is not like a, they're, they're, they're not breaking into song. Uh, there's not like a, a cheerful, rosy-cheeked old lady who's like, "Oh, you girls!" You know, like there's, there's not like there's there, you know, there's no sort so of like facts m- of life. There's no like mm, girls. There's, <laughs> there's no, there's no like Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast come to life. Okay, this is not um, the Downton Abbey. No, no, this is it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty wrenching story, and uh, and there you know, which is you know, sort of takes back to my earlier suggesting that there is a lot of validity in this story because I mean this is this is where things were at the time and these were the battles that went on for years and years and years at the expense of many lives to make women's suffrage a, a you know a reality in in the UK so what's your review you know I'm gonna say this one is uh, a consumer moderation just because it's 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 still it's it's not the great movie I was hoping it was going to be. It it, it kind of fumbles here and there. I think that it has potential awards wise for Carrie Mulligan for lead actress. I think for at least a nomination. Uh, but you know it's it's still kind of there's nothing fresh about it. Like throughout the movie you're like okay I've seen this before. Uh, this is even though I haven't seen this particular story told before the way that it's told the way you feel when you're watching it there's nothing new about it. Suffragette is out now and is rated PG thirteen. For some intense violence, thematic elements, brief strong language, and partial nudity. Binging on movies. Binging with Jason. You're binging on movies with Jason. There There goes goes the binge. binge.